in London, slightly different setting, to the usual spots where we record this podcast, scattered around the White Island. Uh, but today we are in Adrian's Bar and Bistro, and I'm joined by the lovely Luca Leopard. What a lovely bit of uh, alliteration that was, rolled off the tongue. Hello, darling. <laughs> <laughs> good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm really good. I'm uh, post-lunch, I'm having a post-lunch down, and I'm waking up with some cappuccino. Some crunchy cappuccino, Some no crunchy less. Crunchy cappuccino. I Is there it. any particular reason that we um, made it a sort of a crunchy version? Because then it's like dessert, <laughs> sugar on top. You're kind of sweet enough, there, darling. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I've always thought that about you. You don't know all of me, clearly. <laughs> this is also true. Mm-hmm. That's what the interview's for. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Ghosts. Well, I'm looking forward to getting under the crunchy surface, mm. if that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I, I've been wanting to have this little chat for a, a wee while now, but I kind of met you um, in Goa, I guess, through our wonderful mutual friend, uh, your sister, mm-hmm. Sasha. Yes. And... Um, yeah, I mean, I've obviously seen you in action, but I've not yet had the pleasure of uh, the reason... Having that your treatment, yeah. Wh- why is that? Have you I been avoiding me? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> the, quite the opposite, in fact. I think you're quite a, a busy man from what I've been sort of seeing and witnessing uh, of your time ago. We're always kind of like retreating or kind of, you know, treating half of the Ashiana Yoga Centre, which mm. is kind of generally where I tend to bump on, into on you. On a good day, yeah. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And how long have you been doing sort of Tula Yoga? Because it's sort of seemed to be something you created uh, back in the early 2000s. Uh, it was even before that, when I was 25, I came back from living in Holland, and uh, somebody introduced me one evening to something called acrosage, which is acrobatic massage, something created by Benjamin Morantz in the 80s. And they gave me a quick float in space with this acrosage technique. Then I saw a friend having receiving a treatment, and from that moment I was hooked. I, I got her to come over to my house every night for a week. I learned the basics, and then I just started exploring the whole world of... Uh, using acrobatics to suspend people in space wow i definitely want to try that sometime i mean i've been reading about it and you know i I guess this kind of concept of using almost like an inversion therapy where the heart is obviously lower than the rest of the body to reduce the heart rate and obviously stress and tension and all those wonderful things that happen when one does exactly that is that how did you kind of fuse the acrobatic side of it with that the release as well as you're forced into a position of trusting somebody I think that's uh, I, I, besides what's happening on a on a uh, bodily level, on a psychotherapeutic level you have to let go and you realise when you're up in the air the more you relax the easier it is for the person who's floating you so it, it sets off this kind of chain of relaxation or steps down into relaxation very quickly if you're doing it in a meditative and non-acrobatic way that is so basically it boils down to trust. It's all about trust, totally. And how do you go about, I mean, I guess, particularly in a place like London, when someone walks through the door highly sort of stressed and, uh, yeah, in, infused by the uh, activities outside the front door, it must be, well, quite, quite an art form, I guess, to get someone to fully relax into that space. 
Yeah, I think I've been doing it for so long. It, it's quite a quick process these days. I, I think a lot of it's to do with that I'm very relaxed. When somebody comes into my space, they feel that quickly and they start to step down. And uh, before I give Tully Yoga, people have anything from an hour to two hours of uh, floor-based body work. So I massage people with oil, in time with music, uh, using a mixture of... Uh, I would say it's a mi mixture of deep tissue and fluid, flowing, linear, rhythmic uh, uh, strokes to help people relax and calm down. Then they go in the air afterwards, so already they're, they're mush, basically. But it, yeah, it doesn't take long to, to uh, help people to relax off the street. Saying that everybody's different, some people, if they've had long, a lot of long-term stress, of course, I can't, I'm not a magician, I don't get rid of things instantly, so uh, yeah, it depends on the person and what, what life they're living. And, you know, you're obviously getting a lot of repeat kind of people, and I've been reading about the kinds of people you've been treating, so it's, it's something that you've kind of been developing. I mean, how's it changed over the course well, of the, the last... kinds of people I've been treating, well, in your opinion. I was reading about Helena Boonham Carter mm. and uh, uh, Sienna Miller. For, mm. Well, I was reading a little article in The Guardian about you, actually, before I came yes. here. But most of the people I treat are mm. normal, lovely, everyday <laughs> people. You know, I treat... Like me. Like you, yeah, really. <laughs> and, uh, and, of course, it's uh, exciting... To, to work with people like that but generally I'm working with uh, everyday people and I, I love that I mean you don't live in London anymore so you've kind of flown in especially to do these treatments that you're yes. working on this week yes I'm a visiting specialist at Akasha which is the spa of the Cafe Royale on Regent Street and I live in Mallorca and my main two gigs are in Geneva in Switzerland and uh, London and so I do this kind of triangle between the three and I love this combination of three very different uh, atmospheres and setups and uh, I, 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 yeah, I feel like I found a nice uh, harmony between different things. I'm really happy with this moving. And what is it about Mallorca that kind of drew you to live there? Because obviously that's our neighbouring island. And, um, you know, we have met up in Ibiza a few times when you've the competition. come... Well, <laughs> the competition. Well, yes, the more sophisticated <laughs> island over the road. Yes. Um, yeah, I think I was brought up in Devon. And I love being in the countryside. And I think that's why I moved there. I wanted to be out in the countryside. I didn't... Uh, also, there's the expense of Ibiza, the huge expense of Ibiza. I mean, Mallorca isn't cheap, but it's cheaper. And very, I've moved countries a few times, and whenever I'm moving, I don't actually feel like I'm making a conscious, clever decision. Things are just kind of pushing me in a direction, and I go with that flow. And it just so happened I was pushed in the direction of Mallorca, and I went with that, and I'm, I'm really happy I did. Uh, in hindsight, I now remember and realise that actually my parents fell in love on Mallorca Island. And uh, so for me, it has a lot of uh, familiar symbolism and um, I, I feel super at home there. Yeah, I love it. It's the first place uh, since I've started travelling years ago, since I left Devon, that I feel that I want to put down roots, or that I am, in fact, putting down roots. It's just happening. And uh, I'm sure that has something to do with my age as well. Well, you're looking pretty, pretty youthful from where I'm sitting. Thirty-year-old <laughs> <laughs> again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you know, when you started this journey in uh, in Tula Yoga, you went to Barcelona. Is that right? I did. First of all, I went to um, India and travelled around India for a while, and 
I had just been left a little bit of inheritance and it was the first time in my life where I wasn't working to pay the rent and where I wasn't stressed about not being able to pay the rent and uh, I wasn't caught in the, the daily things of buying shopping and uh, you know the things the things we all get caught in suddenly I was in India I think I had something I had a couple of grand it wasn't a lot of money but in 1999 you could live like a king for a couple of years in India and uh, so suddenly I had time stretching out in front of me and it allowed me the space without the stress of having to do something I had the space to ask myself what do I want to do and for me it was a huge reversal and um, it took me a long time to answer what makes you happy that was the question I kept asking myself what makes me happy like watch what you're doing when you're just relaxed and uh, moving through your day and see what really uh, inspires you and it, it's so obvious now that it was doing tula yoga and massage and drawing and writing that they're, they're, now that I've, I've understood what's at my core um, it's, it's easy to see but back then it was really difficult for me to see because I was more caught in a in a mode of thinking about what do I have to do not what do I, nobody asked me when I was younger either what do you want to do what makes you happy Luca I didn't get asked the question so uh, it took me until I was 20 nine to start asking myself that question that was very long-winded I'm sorry I like that yeah. no 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 no. I think this you know what makes you happy business is is definitely something that's core and intrinsic to all of mm. us like none of us really sometimes ever work out what that answer is actually yeah. until later on in life and obviously change our path and reset ourselves yeah. to work in, a, in something completely different or change it regularly yeah. um, I, I had a bit of a different experience to most of my friends as well in that most of the people I knew when I was younger they all had a very clear idea of where they were going like I'm going to go to university I'm going to study this and I'm going to get this job and I'm going to have a big house and it was like they had their idea of where they were going I was completely lost I, I think I was completely lost until I was 30 I was bimbling around doing different things in different jobs always trying to do creative jobs because I love being creative but um, yeah it, it took me a very long time to work out what my what my core desires were and actually I think a lot of people that had these strong ideas about what they wanted to do they're kind of waking up now that actually maybe they were caught in uh, like a social idea of what they should do rather than what they actually wanted to do and they a lot of these people they're changing their uh, directions in life at the moment well that's just a kind of uh, an ism really of the times I think that we live in now where we're kind of told we can do anything we want to do we can be anything we want to be because of you know the digital networks that we have and the way life has kind of changed and from a technological perspective I suppose I think people are a lot more open to that freedom and trying to explore where that can take them really with anything that they can kind of change within where they're currently at so I think that's definitely changed a lot of things um, I think also if there's no security, there doesn't seem to be a lot of security in the world. There's not a lot to hold on to. Nothing much seems solid at the moment. So I think it, it does take a lot of us back. It's like, well, okay, if, if there's nothing to rely on, let's. Well, what, do, what do I do to make myself happy? I, I must differentiate, differentiate that, though, from just a, like a hedonistic, you know, how can I just uh, be on it all the time? It's usually, I think, what makes, or at least what makes me happy is things that I can do helping people and it gives me so much pleasure to give massage because it's I get to see instant results and or body work in general I get to see instant results and I get to make people happy so um 
it's it could sound a little bit selfish you know what makes me happy but uh, I think a lot, often a lot of us find out that what makes us happy is doing things that make other people happy too beautiful and that's not selfish at all that the thing that makes you happy is making others happy and and well i guess taking a little bit of that for yourself i'm definitely not anti-selfish and i'm not anti-ego either i'm not one of those kind of uh, yeah i think the the, it's really good to understand your own wants and desires your own oxygen mask on first absolutely i mean you're absolutely no good to anyone unless you're sorting yourself out first and happy within yourself to be able to share that happiness with other people and of course you wouldn't be happy unless you were doing exactly those things that do you know give you that um kind of leg post to uh to climb from so that's a good thing i I think you know what i was interested about your bio is that you said um you'd used uh well you'd explored what it is that was going to make you happy i mean from the standpoint of your kind of dad pushing you in a kind of a a chef role is that right and then you kind of well, I was definitely into cooking when I was younger. I think I cooked my first Victoria sponge <laughs> when I was five years old. I was always in the kitchen with my mum, and uh, it was definitely something I loved. But, yeah, my dad wanted me to do something that didn't sound as crazy and worthless, in his opinion, uh, like being an artist or going to art college. And the second best thing for me was uh, doing cooking, but I realised that cooking in a kitchen is completely different from cooking for friends at home. Um, it's extremely stressful there's a lot of pressure it, it totally wasn't my I love to cook but I don't want to cook in a restaurant it's just not my uh, environment absolutely not it's quite stressful it's not all about the Vicky sponge either there's a lot of no. food in there that you're not really that into that you kind of have to start yes. making for somebody else's desires on a menu which yeah. takes the magic out of it in my humble opinion um, but your sister's doing that instead now with her uh, lovely, lovely cake creations yeah she does a lot of she's really good at uh, sweets I'm more of a savoury person, but she's uh, she does sweet things. She does savoury as well, but uh, yeah, she does amazing sweet things. And is that something, as you said, you learned through your mother? Yeah, totally. Mum was cooking all the time. She really uh, showed us how to nourish ourselves, and she was into uh, healthy food long before. I mean, I, I used to go to friends' houses and have burgers, but mum would be cooking cabbage and kale and you know sweet potatoes, and she'd always be looking for new things to cook as well and find. Um, not that there was a lot back in the 1970s, but, you know, bit by bit, uh, things have got better in the supermarkets. Thank God for that, apart from in Mallorca. <laughs> yeah, apart from it, yeah, it's getting better in Mallorca, but yes, the food, uh, restaurant-wise, I don't think Mallorca has nothing uh, to do with Ibiza. I mean, Ibiza, you can get amazing food everywhere. Uh, but no, Mallorca, as we were saying, doesn't it doesn't quite have the same choice as uh, Ibiza does. So what is it that you find in Mallorca that makes you want to put down roots there when you've led such a transient existence? Uh, a garden. That's, I think that's the main thing. And uh, just having my own space like with nobody around. I love the quiet. I love the silence. It does me so much good. I think what I, after a few years of doing this now, I go back home and I nourish myself and I cook for myself and uh, I do my gardening and go to the gym and then... When I travel, I'm there to uh, you know, work on other people and help other people's bodies open. So I think for me, it's a it's a place of refuge where I go back to just to recharge my batteries. I say just, 
it's actually to recharge my batteries yeah well that's pretty crucial really again to yeah. your sort of position to be able to facilitate other people's yeah. opening as you call yeah. it and uh, i think to open other people's bodies well you also have to have your own channels open you can't uh, you know if you're a really uptight person you can't open somebody's body i don't think so how did you get to this point then? I mean, obviously, I, I read through your yoga practice, your interest in Hatha yoga, and then you went over to India to study quite extensively by the sounds of it. Um, yes, I studied with a few different people. I studied with some people in Hampi, but I mean, a lot of my practices always come from just me doing daily yoga practice or daily massage practice. For example, I was never taught massage. I started doing it it felt completely natural to me I felt like I had a good understanding of it nobody was paying me any money so I could make you know I had no uh, pressure on me and uh, I feel like a lot of things in the quiet through meditation come out of me and bodywork was just another one of those things and yoga for me as well is is not really something I like to do in the class I much prefer to do it on my own to put some good music on or in the silence in nature it's another yeah it's it, it's how I get in contact with myself. I find that much more difficult to do with other people around. I mean, you, you said that you kind of enjoy... I'm quite a social person, however. <laughs> I don't want to sound... Like, well, you I, are. Do, I do like people. But, uh, <laughs> That's always good yeah. in your line of work. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, when it comes to recharging, it's just really nice to spend time alone. So how would you say that you reset then? If you, you know, what's your recharging toolkit? Um, I think number one is breathing... I'm breathing all the time, That's strangely enough. I know. <laughs> uh, I'm always working with my breath. I love it. It's the main way of me communicating with my emotions and my body and helping it relax, even in stressful situations. And um, I, I think it's perhaps even more essential than physical yoga getting your breathing sorted and learning to follow your breath. It sounds uh, like. Um, uh, I don't know. It doesn't sound as easy. It, is, it doesn't sound as easy as it is in the sense that it's not like I'm uh, hard with myself. But I'm just always watching my breath and breathing deeper and breathing space into my body and sitting in alignment. That's how I stay recharged when I'm traveling. And yeah, when I have more time to myself, I'll go to the gym. I'll do yoga. I'll eat really good food. I like fasting as well. Um, you said that's changed your life and given you a lot more energy. I've read oh, posts of yours yeah. in the past on Facebook. Tell us a bit more about that. Intermittent fasting is a total life changer for me because I, I was always, I never wanted to eat breakfast when I was younger. I started getting hungry, excuse me, around 11 o'clock. And my parents didn't force me to eat breakfast, but as I got older and I started going to the gym and of course I wanted to beef out a bit and you know I wanted to be bigger and hunkier and uh, so everybody says you have to eat more and you have to have breakfast it's the most important meal of the day and so I started to do that and actually I started to get very bad uh, acid stomach I started to put on weight I and I just felt heavy and I don't know I don't I think I did that for maybe four years I didn't really think about it so clearly but at one moment I was like hold on a minute I'm eating way too much and it's some kind of pacifier I'm eating it's it's an entertainment and a pacifier 
And so I decided to start doing this intermittent fasting. Uh, I think I started with three days of fasting and then I went into intermittent fasting, which is basically only eating uh, between one and nine o'clock every day. And outside of that, you can have tea or water, but uh, no, no food. And I took to it like a duck to water. It was actually like going back to my childhood where I didn't eat in the mornings. And um, I just feel so much clearer and more relaxed and less... Um, less driven somehow I love my food also I'm quite an extreme person I am quite a pig I eat a lot of food when I get good food in front of me and I, I actually like the extreme of fasting every day and being a ravenous pig every day and uh, uh, it really suits my nature it means I don't feel like I'm denying myself anything because with intermittent fasting you can eat whatever you want I normally I eat very healthy but I did have a full crisp day the other day when I was in Spain <laughs> where I ate crisps <laughs> all day all day any particular and variety I didn't, I didn't feel no just salty but I didn't feel guilty about it at all I was just like yeah I'm having a crisp day great you know <laughs> because if you're intermittent fasting it sorts out all of if if I'd been eating for the rest of the day as well I would have woken up the next day feeling uh, clogged up or something I think but uh, no with intermittent fasting it gets rid of all of that I highly recommend it I think I was listening to a podcast of a very good friend of mine um, Tony Wrighton who makes that Zestology mm -hmm. and he was talking to some doctors and some scientists about um, intermittent fasting and that the optimum is between a six and eight hour window of eating and versus obviously the rest of the time when you're not um, and he was saying that you know every time you eat it causes a, a spike in the insulin the blood mm -hmm. sugar which obviously if not consumed or used up that energy then it just turns to fat yes. and eff effectively every time you're nibbling throughout the rest of the day or picking and you know you're basically creating this like spike in your system which is ultimately continuously supplying you with energy that maybe you're not using so when you're sitting around all the time just you know grazing as a lot of people do in desk jobs for example when they're not actually moving at all yeah. this is a nightmare and that's yeah. exactly why we're getting these little muffin tops and yeah. saddlebags on our bums and thighs that we don't necessarily want or need so i can see you know you're looking very lean you're looking fabulous actually as thank always you. thank you i uh uh, I wanted to add something as well about there being no rest time as well, not just this uh, insulin, but your, your uh, digestive system never gets any rest. And I don't, I don't think we, our bodies are meant to live like that. I know not, actually. I'm never going back to eating three meals a day. And I've turned quite a lot of people on to uh, intermittent fasting, and all of them say no, they know that they will never go back to eating uh, three meals a day. It, it's so clearly better when you start doing it. You don't, you don't really need any persuasion. Are you My two meals? Uh, well, yeah, theoretically it's two meals, but as I said, I can eat whatever I want between one and eight. So if I feel like having a piece of cake, I will, you know, between my lunch and dinner, I will do. I, I, I point that out because for me it's not about... Um, it seems restrictive, but in fact, for me it's liberating. I can eat whatever I want for eight hours. It feels really good. And I, I don't... These days I don't end up gorging and having too much food because obviously my stomach's probably shrunk a bit and... Uh, um, it's not the point of it, but uh, knowing that I can eat whatever I want, uh, it's a really nice free feeling. I think all other diets, they're, they're, they're usually based on restriction and having to watch yourself. And you don't need to do any of that with intermittent fasting. That's interesting because the other thing that Tony does is like keto. And I, I have tried this keto thing 
I'm probably on my like fifth or sixth round of it now, but then I'll just go into these mad like sugar binges at the end of two weeks of keto and I'm just obviously undoing all the work yeah. that I've just put in because I don't think it's normal to completely take sugar out of your diet. And as a, a female particularly or someone that likes a bit of chocolate every now and again, as it's really female. hard. <laughs> well, you know, we always have a sweet tooth. Well, I do anyway. And I think a lot of girls, you know, once a month definitely go into a mad ah, crazed sugar, sugar binge and I just too. cannot... Okay. put that beast to bed it's hard and you wouldn't have to if you intermittent fasted I, I I don't want to get like over the top about it but it really is life changing and I, I can only uh, wholeheartedly recommend it no, I, I fully agree I've done it a lot as well I just find with the Spanish late dining times I have struggled with that one in Ibiza a lot but I hate the Spanish late dining times actually I'm not into that you know you sitting don't down hate the Spanish thing no I don't hate the Spanish thing at all I love it that's why I'm still living in Ibiza I love the Spanish honestly I love them too they're great people um, but you are coming to Ibiza again quite soon what was this visit number four five six uh, I don't know maybe even seven or eight I've been there on holiday a few times and uh Yes, I've started doing retreats with Erin Knowles, who used to be a concierge, like uh, London's biggest concierge service or something like that. And she moved out to Ibiza to have... Uh, it's it's funny hearing you call it Ibiza as well. I'm like, I'm getting Ibiza, muddled in, mate. Ibiza, getting muddled <laughs> in my head. What to call it now? Um, and she's been organising some retreats for me out there with some of the local yoga teachers and where I give uh, treatments of... I don't call it massage anymore. I call it meditation in touch and tulu yoga, the uh, floating part of what I do. And Erin invites one of the local yoga teachers and we also have uh, the guy that... Is it Toby that does the walking? Who uh, takes us for walks and in the evening there are, I teach meditation and have talking circles. So it's a, a nice, gentle retreat I do there twice a year what is it you love about Ibiza what's the thing about it that sort of draws you in each year um, wonder what it, I think it it's a nice contrast to Mallorca there's a lot more going on I like the people there the people that it attracts of course there there's a lot of interesting people on the island and being such a foodie I love going there for the food the flora and fauna is different I don't I've never really understood that that for example in spring I'll see what's happening in Mallorca but when I go to Ibiza there'll be a quite a lot of different flowers that I never see uh, uh, in Mallorca so yeah those are the things and I I love having retreats organized for me I'm quite a lazy person and uh, it's lovely if somebody does all the organizational part of it and Erin is super good at uh, hosting so, uh, and she's a good friend of mine so those are the things that draw me there really What's, where's your favourite place to dine if uh, you were saying earlier about the, the wonderful food spots of Ibiza well I prob- probably don't know all the good places do I but uh, of course I go to La Paloma every time I go there so that's probably the place that I head for most. and there was, there was some amazing place uh, roots, something, beet root or something wild beets wild beets that's really good as well. Do you know Wild Beats? I, I do. Actually, the very last guest we had before Trace Harris was uh, the wonderful Cliff Gruben, who is the owner of Wild Beats, okay. who New Yorker, and uh, he came on and told us the whole story of the restaurant. It's yeah, it's well a very done, big Chris. passion. I like that restaurant. It's vegan, actually, mm-hmm. as well, which um, yeah is very rare in Ibiza to have sort yeah. of. Or he was the first vegan restaurant on the island, so yeah, no, he's doing magical things with that. He has this wonderful uh, juice detoxes as well mm-hmm. that he does. Um, so yeah, no, he's a very, very interesting man. I thoroughly enjoyed having a little catch up with him. I think food is definitely one of the most important 
parts of retreats as well. So yes, um, definitely, if the food isn't good, you're going to have unhappy people. It's over. Understandably. Understandably. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, people talk about kind of how food is, you know, one of the biggest factors in sort of deep healing work as well, because obviously, yeah, as you talked about with the intermittent fasting, we all turn to food as a pacifier or an emotional thing. Has that ever been kind of something that you've done? What, using food as a pacifier? Uh, totally, yeah. Has, hasn't everybody done that? <laughs> um, yes, and also just as an experiential, it's like it's a bit like TV, isn't it? It's mouth TV food. You can use it like that, where you're just putting things in your mouth to entertain yourself. I think... Uh, uh, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> oh, no, I've, I've already started channeling Benny Hill, haven't I? <laughs> I was quite enjoying it. <laughs> But uh, yes, I think more, more than perhaps even more than a pacifier is entertainment and distraction. It's like yeah, go and eat something, then you don't have to think or feel. But I'm very into thinking and feeling these days. Yeah, I can see that about you, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's the sort of thing that you go to as, a, as an emotional crutch these days? That if that's not kind of something that you've obviously you're doing anymore obviously through your work you get a lot of pleasure out of helping people the the biggest emotional crutch in my life is music I don't think I would be alive without music I'm not exaggerating it's uh, that's everything for me it's my exciter my pacifier my getter in the mood for whatever I have a lot of music and uh, I'm very specific about what I want to listen to and and sensitive to how it alters my mood and that's definitely uh, crutch sounds a bit negative doesn't it it's my it's my friend music's my friend it's kind of like a mood enhancer but also a game changer yes totally atmosphere maker and uh, without music I don't think I would give half as good treatments music really inspires me how to move around somebody's body and um, I choose music that's very kind of hearty and uh, I don't so much like music that's spacing people out I like you know music that has a good beat to it and uh, helps people get in contact with their heart I mean, there's a real tradition in sort of the healing world to use music not created by humans for humans, which is just the worst thing in the world when you walk into a treatment space and there's like, dolphins, you know, making noises or kind of like the sound of crashing era, waves. Wasn't it? Like a ten-year oh, where everybody was putting on the dolphin music or the I whale. Mean, what's that all about? Well, I suppose I can understand it in the sense that it gives the feeling of a lot of space, doesn't it? When you listen to whales, it's like infinite space going out and the depth and the peace of the ocean. I get it, but it, like you only want to do it once. One treatment with whale music is enough, for me anyway. And as a practitioner, I need, you know, you need to really stay awake and stay with the person. So uh, I need to bring on fresh music all the time to help me. Uh, stay very alert and conscious so where do you have a a little rummage to find that kind of stuff I'm always listening for example I'm listening at the moment (laughs) to the music and not enjoying it no the music we're listening to is absolutely (laughs) dire there's no doubt about that um, yeah everything films it can be on Netflix somebody can be playing something on, on the radio or somebody's playing something at their home I'm always listening out for new music and I can tell within a few seconds whether I want to use a piece of music for work or not it's, uh, it's quite instant it like, gives me a good feeling and, uh, and I download it and start using it I mean yeah I used to get that with them I used to have a lot of almost near car crashes actually because Open Lab was my favourite radio station to listen to in Ibiza and sadly Robert Miles the 
creator and founder of that is no longer with us and it's the radio station is is also no longer with us which is tragic um but i used to always be shazamming whilst driving and almost you know stacking it into the campo because (laughs) yeah i mean i would know within seconds that i wanted to put that in my yoga class i'm obsessed really by yeah music that goes with movement you or like if you're into music that's your your ears are open all the time you're waiting you're waiting for the next piece of music and I'm only now realising how sad it is that you haven't had a treatment with me because you don't, like, it's a big part of the treatments that I give, using rhythms and music and uh, and um, m- making my hands into, like, a choreographic dance around your body in time with music, with the feeling that the, the music is giving you. So, for example, if it's, like, upbeat, you know, it's a more energising massage or if it's some... A beautiful vocal track it's more slow and fluid and, and yes we have to have get you having a treatment um, uh, well the choreographic movement of dance mm. of the hands around yeah, my body it totally sounds marvellous yeah it's marvellous to give as well I, I really uh, I've been doing it for a very long time and I'm still not bored so well that's that's an amazing thing because I think it's quite easy to get bored when you even when you're totally passionate about something you kind yeah. of you know a lot of people do get bored five years in it's uh, it's time for the next new thing so that's yeah. lovely that you're still really that into it yeah I think also because the people that every body is a new body everybody is a is a different uh, lock and you have to find the key and um people okay often people have tension in their shoulders or their hips or whatever but still everybody is very unique where they carry their tension patterns and um some people are going to release a lot quicker if you uh, if you with a gentle touch and other people are going to release a lot quicker with a much deeper touch and f- you know finding how to match that person it's it's uh, yeah it's like a, it's a bit of a game it's an art and uh, that that keeps it interesting I mean, that is the most important part of what I do as a yoga teacher as well. I think it's kind of interesting that you've mentioned that, this idea of, you know, us all being unique structures because, you know, having one kind of set of yoga postures is kind of like a ridiculous concept, really, because, um, yeah, there's no two bodies out there that are the same. We're all absolutely different. So what might have been invented for a pair of Indian hips the size of a, you know, a pair of tweezers is not going to work for the next man that comes along with, uh, you know, some really wide... And the importance of feeling yourself, which is why I like to do yoga on my own. It's great to do yoga classes to pick up new tricks, I I think uh, so. But in the end, I need to be quiet and alone to feel into my body enough to to work with my body. And I think in a yoga class, often things are, are too fast for me and they're not individual enough. They're not necessarily suited to your or my body and... Um, so any yoga teacher that can teach a whole class of people, I like. I totally take my hat off to them because I don't. Uh, it's not something that I have the capacity to do to watch that number of people. And I'm also training people to give massage and to the yoga. And uh, for some years I did it in groups, and now I've stopped doing it in groups. I'm only teaching privately because I I, I need all my focus with one person to get them to do it properly with their kind of body. And. Uh, uh, yeah, it was completely mentally and physically exhausting teaching a group of even just 12 people and keeping my eye on everybody. I have seen you after those trainings in <laughs> India on, on the beach. Yeah. yeah, you looked a little bit drained, bless you. You're but not doing those anymore. The, um, uh, how do you call those? It might have been the cheese naan breads that were making me look more exhausted. <laughs> a little bit puffy. <laughs> yeah, the cheese naan bricks. 
They're so addictive though. Like mm. once you get into the cheese garlic naans, you literally mm. can't stop and it is a dangerous da- game. Dairy Lee Dairy Lee Nuns. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, my mouth is actually watering just thinking about those in January again. I'm really gonna have to do my best not to not to get involved. It's uh, it's, it's yeah, it's a dangerous game. Yeah. Um, you are obviously not, you know, going back down the Goa, the Goa Road. Um, once again, we were having this conversation before, and I find that also kind of interesting. I don't know if you're willing to, to talk about why you don't fancy going back, or you know, what is it? I mean, obviously, you learn or you cut your teeth in the yoga world when you went over there to sort of study the hatha thing that kind of got you into this world. Um, I don't know. Goa for me, uh, predominantly Aram, Arambol which was a very, very different place in 1999, of course, uh, was profoundly healing for me. My mum had just died. As I said, it was the first time that I had uh, space and time to think about what I wanted to do with my life. I I kind of remember the first time I went there, you couldn't... There were no uh, bridges going over the ferry. Uh, Sorry, there were only ferries. There were no bridges going over the estuaries. And... uh, I remember crying all the way there with my sister on each of these uh, estuary things. It was like I was letting go of my mum's death and then we arrived at Arambol, which was this quiet little village with one string of different coloured lights and only um, acoustic music at night time. And I spent three months there. I thought I was going to travel around India. I thought Goa was like a place uh, that like it wasn't real India. I had lots of judgments and opinions about it. And uh, I, I didn't want to leave. I just so didn't want to leave. It was so healing for me. Going to the beach every day, doing yoga every day, not talking about irrelevant things like mortgages and jobs and, and status. It was all just about how do you feel today? You know, how's your body doing? What do you feel like eating for lunch? Very simple questions, and which all allowed me to come down into my body and into my heart. And uh, so that's... That's why, that's what I found when I went to Goa. In fact, it wasn't what I went there for, but it's what I found when I went to Goa. And of course, each year it's become more and more busy. And Arambol, uh, it just isn't the same. It just isn't the same place anymore. It's not what I need when I go on a holiday, anyway. But I kept going out there because my sister's out there, and still, un- even with all the madness underneath it all, it was still a healing place for me. But in the last uh, few years, I I don't want to be travelling so far away. I think there's enough beauty in Europe. Um, I would rather also start getting people to come to me, the people that I treat and I go to visit, to come to me, so I need to be in a place that's closer. I think uh, Mallorca is an amazing place. It's an hour and a quarter away from Geneva. Um, I think an hour and 45 away from London. So um, I feel myself centering up as I get older, not wanting to go so far afield, and uh, especially not to do retreats and things like that. I think I, I think I would go travelling further afield to for personal pleasure to maybe go and visit Japan or something like that. But um, I don't want to be travelling so far to give retreats. I think you know January, February, March was traditionally the time we would uh, bump into one another on the beaches of Go, and it was like. Actually, well, the last comment you made to me actually was that you were really missing Mallorca and obviously that kind of beginning oh, of springtime, yes. which is the best time to be yeah, there. Yeah, definitely. I remember um, booking the holiday with my partner at the time and I was standing in the garden. It was raining. <laughs> we were burning leaves. It was raining. And uh, I had, for the first time in 
I don't know, at least 20 years, uh, a feeling of homesickness, even before I had left. And I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to go to India. And I went, and I had a good time, of course, and I saw lovely people. But um, I could have just easy, just as easily have stayed at home and had a great time in the in the rain. I think also when I was younger, being brought up in England, I was sun-starved, and um, I'm not sun-starved anymore. I've lived in enough hot countries. It's like I'm enjoying all seasons now. The coming of autumn here is absolutely beautiful. Winter will be interesting, especially in Mallorca, because it's a bit more like a wet spring. So everything is very lush. There are lots of flowers. And uh, the only the only thing I don't like is wind and rain. When wind and rain are together, that's really that's a hard one for me. But I that is England, and that's England. Yeah, <laughs> and that is why you no longer reside here. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I think you know it must be after all this traveling. You talked about the fact you were you know in Barcelona, and then you, you know tried all these other different places you've constantly been on the road traveling with your work but you know there's something very magical about this idea of home like having a home and the fact that you've now obviously clearly found it yeah i don't think i yeah the uh, this idea of home i don't think is one that i know so well i don't think i felt very at home when i was younger i didn't feel at home in my body i didn't feel at home on the planet i didn't really feel at home in my family god bless them and uh <laughs> it yeah it, it's taken me i think i started really coming down and being at home here by the age of 30 that's it took me a very long time and yeah to find a place where i feel that i can even come further down like into the earth and um it's a it's a lovely very nourishing thing for me what began to make you feel a bit more settled uh, therapy <laughs> I don't know yeah looking looking at myself asking myself why I wasn't happy down here a lot of it, a lot of it was because I was doing things that I thought I was meant to do not doing not doing me I wasn't doing me and my thing in authenticity in yeah and uh, I I don't think I even knew myself well enough to bring myself out and I, so I suppose the more I got to know myself the more I could start uh, bringing into the world and that, that uh, made me feel more at home here and especially in the last uh, longer than that but especially in the last five years I felt so appreciated for the work that I do by people I feel very held and uh, yeah and loved so it's a, it's a lot nicer to be down here I'm very lucky I have very lovely people that come and see me <laughs> I think that's quite a common thing on this planet, though. Like people feeling that like they don't fit in or feeling very alienated or very uncomfortable in their own skin. That's nothing terribly unusual, but not a lot of people talk about that. And the ways to navigate through that are really complicated and often result in kind of like addiction, basically, from, from what I'm hearing and what I've, I've experienced, particularly in Ibiza. Why? Because people want to jump straight to feeling good through a chemical rather than, yes... Yes, I think the the whole thing about knowing yourself, that's where that becomes important, like really spending enough time with yourself being quiet and also having friends that ask you the right questions and don't encourage... Uh, uh, debauchery. Debauchery <laughs> and distracting behaviour, like distracting you away from yourself. Um, I know I, I, like I've done enough of that in my life as well. It's, uh, it's through doing it and stop doing it that I can understand it as a... And, part of getting out of that is really uh, starting to ask yourself who you are and what makes you happy and what makes you unhappy why 
like going deeper and deeper into your personality and uh, and and appreciating yourself and learning what you really have to give to other people. What would you What would you say that is for you, if you don't mind? Uh, I definitely uh, need, or the thing that nourishes me the most is bringing beauty into the world. It doesn't really matter how, as long as I'm bringing beauty into the world, it makes me happy. I need to be creative. Um, that can be in cooking, dancing. It's definitely in the, the treatments that I give, writing, drawing. Um, that's what brings me the most satisfaction. I feel like I'm adding something good to the world. That makes me feel good. Was that the question? Well, you were saying about what it is that you have to offer, what, yes. what it is that we each individually yeah. have to bring into this world. What is our, our purpose, I suppose, essentially? I mean, in the framework of treatments, it's uh, tenderness, bringing tenderness to people, which doesn't mean my treatments are light. They're often very deep, in fact, but... Uh, during treatments that's what I want to bring to people connection and tenderness really feeling touched not having a window wiper massage like somebody really touching and understanding your body perhaps even better than you know it like somebody searching through your fibers feeling where you're blocked and uh, with care undoing your blockages that's what I have to give to people in a, on a treatment level and the way I want to do it is in a beautiful way like I'm always choosing beautiful spaces to do it in hopefully good music that people like uh, and uh, even the style is very dance like and uh, fluid so in terms of treatments it's yeah, beauty and tenderness and connection I, uh, and it makes me feel good as well. I mean, it gives me lots of energy to do that. I think that's something that's quite challenging for some people, though, is to surrender to that and, and to find that connection and, and to be tender with anybody else. Yeah, it's like yeah. you know, if you, that you're not in a relationship with necessarily yeah, even harder and tougher to access. So that is, God, this music. We're getting very uh, jazzy on here mm, <laughs> on yeah. the Reset Rebel podcast today. Interesting. Um, but yeah, you know, especially for English people as well. Do you find any particular uh, European nationality that kind of uh, lends themselves more open to your treatment than another? Um, no, I don't think it. I, I don't think so. I think perhaps the French—they're more open with their bodies. The whole idea of getting massage for pleasure or for uh, for health is perhaps a lot more obvious to a French person than it would be to an English person. But um, no, in, you know, in every nationality, there are very open, free people, and there are the tight, blocked ones. So, Always a few tight, yeah. blocked ones. <laughs> yes, yeah. I like the tight, blocked ones. They're they're really interesting. I, luckily, this is like a saying. You know, the good thing is that everybody is really different, and uh, some people come to me. Their their bodies are completely open, and it's just like flying around a landscape it's a really beautiful experience but if everybody was like that I would get bored and then if the next person that comes to me is really blocked up like a 70 year old guy who's really kind of crispy and rigid it's it's <laughs> crispy it, or crispy crispy or crispy any of those <laughs> just tight and uh, that that you know working with with that difference you know it brings a lot of uh, it keeps me awake I like that 
You like a challenge? I definitely like a challenge, and I love people that the, the, the probably the most uh, satisfying people to work on are people that have lots of massage and they think they've seen it all and they've had the best massages in the world. It's like I, I love working with people like that because I, I they're the people that can give you the juiciest feedback on what you do because they're tuned, they're really tuned in to good massage. I think everybody knows a good massage when they have it, but people that have a lot, they, they really appreciate the, the detail. I was reading that this um, takes place while this participant is naked. Yes. See, that for me, that would be, that would be quite tricky. I, I'm a little bit prudish, actually, you, you I'm not going to lie. You can wear a string if you want to. Do we call them a string in England? A G-string? <laughs> what kind of string are we referring to here? <laughs> you can wear a piece of string. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> a thong. You call it a thong, don't you? Yeah. Uh, you can wear a thong if you'd like to. And if you want to, you can wear knickerbockers. It's okay. <laughs> but uh, you will get... The, the reason I like to work with people naked is because you... There's always kind of this separation, I think, in, or often in massage where people do your legs and then they do your back and then they do your arms. and It's like piece by piece and I like to flow around the whole body and underwear just gets in the way. Absolutely. Okay. Holy yeah. concur. But what about, is this, is, this is for the massage, this is not for the Tula Yoga when uh, no, you're no, flying no, the person. No, That's what I was kind of slightly amused by. No, uh, it, I don't call it flying for a start I call it Sorry. Uh, floating or incorrect balancing. terminology there yes only I apologize. because flying it's got this kind of moving um, forward moving thing about it and floating it's more like being suspended in space in infinite space and uh, um, I've forgotten the question, the question? nakedness nakedness <laughs> uh, toes so in people, wrong places yes <laughs> that's what I was kind of alluding to <laughs> no uh, so uh, people dress for the Tula Yoga part you'll be happy to know mm. I have uh, done it naked on beach in Spain on beaches in Spain before but sand gets in the way and skin on skin doesn't really work it's much and of, of course you're in very kind of open positions and uh, no it's not it's not it wouldn't be good to do it naked really it's not that kind of thing especially on the beach in Goa with all the, uh, the spectators the Goa, yeah and uh, yeah mm, yeah no it's wrong wouldn't work <laughs> it de- is wrong I'm trying to think it about permutations wrong. of it it's just like no that's not working <laughs> not working for me anyway no and uh, well yeah anyway I'm, I'm yet to experience this but I, I'm definitely going to try quite soon I can feel it coming um, it's, a sound, it's a shame actually I'm not going to be in Ibiza when you're there but what have you got what have you got coming up next year what's your focus for 2019 is there anything specific oh I don't know how much I can mention well I'll start with the easy things to talk about I'm giving a boat trip in, uh, which I have done every year apart from last year for six years uh, a trip on a boat where people get treatments of massage we do yoga and meditation it's on, in the Aegean going f- from little bay to little bay it's at the end of, well, end of the uh, tourist year it's in September it's a really peaceful trip with infinite space around you blue sea, blue sky um, good food, of course. I love doing that trip. I'm doing it uh, with a very talented masseur called Martin Cairoli uh, and his wife Itzia. They're going to. Martin is going to do the treatments this year. Itzia is going to do the yoga, and I'm going to teach meditation in the evenings and hold talking circles, which is a little passion of mine. Um, what facilitating the space for people to discuss certain themes that you picked? Or? No, they t- talk about whatever they want, or not. 
they're, I think they're more listening circles than talking circles. You spend a lot more of your time listening anyway. And I definitely do. Yeah, <laughs> t- teaching people just to listen and be there, and it's not it's just a place to share and you I think put in that position you'd be surprised what feels good to share and I think the way I lead them helps people to uh, share quite profound things not in not not necessarily in the sense of I have this profound teaching I'm going to give the group but more in the sense of uh, very personal things that uh, have been in the dark and that want to come out that's one of my most favourite things that happens on retreats where actually Toby Clark was running in around the island walk and I went up there the other night to um, to the campfire. I was very honoured that he actually allowed me to pop up and one of the things the tradition before dinner is around the campfire is that they have a, have a stick and in this case they lost the stick so they were using a hairbrush. Around it went and I had to contribute as well and I always get the old butterflies and slight palpitations before that sort of thing happens and sweaty palms but some of the stuff people were sharing about what's been going on up there was like well 12, 12 days of, of travelling 255 kilometres around the island quite a few hardships and a lot of emotional trauma mm. and release and detachment from obviously real life and all the wonderful things that pop up in that space when it's kind of um, yeah yeah, very much uh, unstimulated by the, the realities and day to day doings uh, are just the most beautiful things to listen to just like people are so open and so honest and so vulnerable it's beautiful you were saying about getting palpitations before you speak as well but I I I like to help people understand that you for one thing one sh- I think in a good talking circle or listening circle you shouldn't be thinking about what you're going to say and often I've caught myself like trying to think about what I want to share with the group you know you want to share something interesting after all and uh, I've learned not to do that at all in fact in just to listen to people and when it comes to your own turn there's no pressure for you to talk one time I had a, a woman it was beautiful she just sat there meditating and crying for maybe 20 minutes with the talking hairbrush <laughs> or whatever you happen to have and it was the most beautiful sharing so um, and I, I've learned that because when I'm doing these talking circles as well I'm I join the talking circle I, I talk my little bit of what's happening in my life as well and uh, yeah I've learned not to think about it at all and that I have a lot of time just to wait for the natural words to come out of me and the, the natural thing that I want to share and that it's okay not to share anything. There's no pressure. Some people need to listen for many talking circles to feel comfortable to come out with uh, something of their own, and that's completely fine. I don't, I don't like. Uh, and a, another thing that I do, I'm giving my tips away here. I'm loving it. But, uh, it doesn't go around in a circle. I get people to choose the person that speaks so if, for example if I if you start then you would choose somebody else in the circle that you would like to choose so it doesn't go around in the circle so you don't know when it's coming to you and uh, I think this uh, this helps break all the tensions that are normally in a in a talking circle that's a funny one that yeah the nerves that pop up and the planning like you say of what's gonna come out of your face because you oh, never know really when it's a public <laughs> thing it's hideous you hide worst. behind your radio, don't you? I do, yeah, and it's well always done. just me, usually by myself, which is perfect. But as yeah. soon as I'm up in front of other people, I, I can't stand it, which yeah. no one ever thinks about me because of what I do. But, yeah. you know, it's always just me in a darkened room with a microphone, and that's absolutely my happy place. I keep feeling like you're offering me some chocolate ice cream. <laughs> Every time I poke my recorder in your face. in my mouth. 
I wish it was. We'd have been having a feast. <laughs> Next time I shall um, add on a little added extra on the end and um, you can enjoy it far more than you would right now. <laughs> And so what else, apart from the boat trip, what else are we coming up next year? I am going to be working with a, a lovely lady called Trisha Eastman, who uh, does something called Psychedelic Journeys, and working with some uh, traditional Native American medicines. Um, one what kind of medicine? Bufa alvaris, which is from a toad, and uh, iboga, and... Um, what I want to do is to work on people's bodies before they have private sessions with her. So that's what we're organising for next year. I find them two of the most profound healers I've ever worked with. Uh, Trisha herself, of course, but also these medicines. And um, uh, yeah, I find them very attractive to What's be around. What's your experience of Bufa, the toad medicine? Um, complete dissolution of me reunion with everything little things like that <laughs> just a small uh... yeah, you know just it's it's a death but where you realize that death isn't as scary as as you might imagine I mean I think this I think it could be very scary for somebody the buffo in fact but for me it was just like going home it was like dissolving back into everything again and going out and out in waves of rainbow white and golden geometric pattern to the end of the universe beyond the stars and um, into nothingness and in that nothingness feeling the completeness of everything I can only talk about it in poetic terms because it's 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 too big I mean it even saying things like that somehow reduces it words you start putting words on these things and they reduce the experience but it was a very very healing experience for me it made me realize the irrelevance of most things i think about <laughs> to total irrelevance and uh yeah and it was good to go back home Wow, I think I'm going to come on this retreat. I mean, I've, I've been having a few psychedelic experiences of my own recently with something called Jerema, which is kind of interesting. And also... Someone or something? Uh, no, uh, there was a, a shaman that was facilitating a, an experience at a private house in Ibiza, and it was a Jerema was the name of the plant. Okay. Um, okay. And that was quite psychedelic and very self... But just very healing, yeah, just showing up a lot of things about yourself that you know you need to kind of take a look at that you wouldn't be able to see obviously in the normal day of light and um yeah i just found that amazing and also i accidentally ate a chocolate mushroom recently when i was dog sitting for a friend just happened to be at the back of the fridge and uh, ate it while i was making a cup of tea and the next thing i thought i was possibly dying actually and uh obviously i wasn't once i found out what it was it was all good but i didn't know what the hell was happening um and then once I found out, I actually yeah, had a very wonderful five hours sitting on a balcony just watching the clouds and yeah. having a good old think about things. And it was just beautiful, again, to the point where I've done it a few times since, actually, because I have found, I don't know, psychedelics are just very, very interesting. And I did actually interview a guy from um, the MAPS uh, uh, Society uh, out in the States. They've, they've been doing a lot of... Um, research and studies for anxiety and depression with psychosyllabin. I think it might be Trisha's husband that has something to do with maps. I think uh, 
I forget things like this. The multidisciplinary association of psychedelic society. Yes, I think I think that has something to do with him. Anyway, he's her her partner is very well known in in the psychedelic world uh, for using psychedelics to help cure people of mental uh, illness and addiction. And for me. I think once you've started looking into those things and you've been guided and helped well, I don't think they're things you should take frivolously or... Uh, or dog-sitting. Not, not, yeah, don't go <laughs> picking people's chocolates. Don't go into my fridge and start eating my chocolate either. <laughs> what would happen? Well, if it's the good chocolate, I'll be pissed off. <laughs> and if it's the, the 99% cacao. Yeah, I'll have to babysit you. <laughs> uh, okay. Um... Uh, I've lost my track now. With a crunchy cappuccino. Sounds like my ideal kind of date, actually. I might come over to Mallorca. Crunchy cappuccino and chocolate. I don't actually normally do uh, cappuccino anymore. I'm so much more of a tea head, but uh, that was very pleasant. I'm glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) Now, I was just, you know, I think this psychedelic thing, we haven't actually got so much longer. We've actually already been yanging on for over an hour. I know, time flies when you're jazzing it out in uh, Adrian's Bar and Bistro. Um, But I do think the psychedelic thing is, is, is... Growing. I mean, a lot of people are growing their own mushrooms at home and are experimenting, um, which isn't necessarily the way forward. But I do think this facilitated space of taking psychedelics under the kind of resident of, a, of someone who's got a little bit more psychotherapy, yeah, psychotherapeutic I, experience is not a bad thing. Yeah, I agree. I think it's good having somebody there to take care of you. And uh, I, when I was younger and I you know found magic mushrooms in a field and I decided to do that kind of thing I had a whale of a time in nature I had a it was beautiful nature was my teacher but uh, I never really understood why one would have a shaman until I started having some ayahuasca experiences in 2000 and um, it's really good having somebody there who yeah to hold you to hold you in that space so you can actually let go more you can discover more things about yourself I think if you're if you're not held, you can stay very surfacey, and you think you're having an amazing time because you might be seeing pretty patterns and things like that. But if there's a, a really strong person with a lot of positive gra- uh, uh, how do you call it gravitas, um, it allows you to let go and go deeper into your subconscious and pull things out of your subconscious that you wouldn't if you were just having a like a fun time fun time in a field. I'm not against fun time in a field, but uh, no, 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 me either. But I, d- you know, I did read that on your bio that you'd had a little, a little foray into the psychedelics world back in the day, which is yes. obviously around the time that you're saying that you started. I didn't the try yoga. any of those things until I was 25. I, I was very anti drugs, although I was a smoker and I drank alcohol, which now I think are two of the worst drugs. And uh, uh, yes, and I'm really, I, I think I am actually glad that I discovered those things later in life. But do you think those things are things that pushed you into the path that you're on now? Because you were saying you were 25 yeah, totally, then. Totally. Tula Yoga got born at 29, and yes. that, it took you that long to kind of figure out your yes. place in the world. And totally. so that sort of maybe is something that kind of gave you that inspiration. Totally. They totally allowed me to think differently, to see differently, to question things I wasn't questioning before. And uh, I'm... I'm I'm not an advocate for all drugs. I'm kind of anti-sugar, even though I've just had a crunchy, uh, <laughs> crunchy cappuccino. But uh, uh, how would I say it? Responsible use of psychedelics <laughs> I can promote, and I, especially with uh, Bufa Alvarez, I think it's, I think it's kind of essential that I promote that to people in the world. 
I think it's uh, if I if I was quiet about it and kept it a little secret, I think I would feel um, I was I was I would be doing a disservice to the world. I think this this is a counterbalance to all the craziness that's happening at the moment. That uh, people are helping themselves wake up and expand their minds on those particular on those particular medicines. Bit of a reset tool then, another one. A t- a totally a big reset tool. Yes, it. it uh, breaks down all your habitual patterns which uh, some people of course that's scary as hell for but for me it was uh, it was uh, a very welcome opening and expansion I think that's what these these experiences do do with you know the psychedelic I, mean, I literally honestly have not touched anything like that since my early 20s and I had a terrible time and I hated every second not done it for 20 years and then boom in the space of a month mm-hmm. I had three major psychedelics two completely unplanned and unwarranted and un you know non-participatory experiences because I hadn't decided that I wanted to so do these was, things one they was just, the chocolate and one was the, the chocolate other. the other one was like I was told I was going to be taking some uh, cannabis oil mm-hmm. and it was kind of thick black paste that someone put on a raw chocolate and I didn't really question it because obviously I know cannabis oil is oil mm-hmm. but this wasn't it was like a thick black paste it went on a, a raw chocolate and I ate it mm-hmm. and then about two hours later I was actually it wasn't really in a great space to be fair it was really unpleasant what happened next it was I, in a very deep was kind of dark so hole you, you just had too much of it I definitely had too much of it because uh, I've never been into a place like that since I and you know the only thing I could do was go and hide under a, a duvet in my friend's camper van on the top bunk I'd pull it over my head and actually meditate on every single in and out breath and every time I deviated from that I went crazy. off into a horrible horrible hell hole so the unfortunately the breath there we go. Well, I was quite quite proud of myself. The only thing, I, the positive I took from that the next day, when I'd finally kind of, uh, yeah, come down from my extreme trauma, was uh, was that that you know the only tool that got me out of that nightmare was meditation, which I was like, that's kind of interesting. I've picked up enough through the years to actually yes. know that if if the shit hits the fan, excuse my language, then yeah, that is yeah. something that I can actually go to in a time of extreme distress and, yeah. and concern. You know how to hold your center. You've learned how to hold your centre with everything going crazy around you. I honestly didn't know what else to do, and I didn't even know that was going to happen until I got under the duvet, and I was like, my mind was going into... Well, anyway, I thought I was going to go out there in a straitjacket, but luckily I managed to have that wonderful tool that we uh, you know, use now and again when it's, you know, things are getting a little bit challenging, and uh, they certainly were. So, yeah, that's the only good thing that I can say about that is that I realised that I have the strength to remember that that's too, always yeah. there. Yeah. And it's not going anywhere, thank God. And it is the most simple thing in the whole wide world to focus yeah. on your breath and what a magical, amazing thing it is. Yes, it is. Fundamental. Fundamental. To sanity. To sanity. And so lastly, so if people want to find you, they've got this wonderful retreat in November in uh, Everything's on my website. Uh, there, are, there are a few retreats that aren't on the website at the moment, but uh, most things are on the website. Descriptions of my work, it's www.tulayoga.com. It's been an absolute pleasure. In my pleasure. best radio voice. <laughs> it's pretty good, pretty good. Uh, I'm not enjoying the background music, but um, it's got a fine tinkle in the ivories now to, to finish, which has been, um, yeah, a really I've lovely catch-up. a great time. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Despite my resistance early on. <laughs> well, Adrian, whoever you are, thank you for, for having us. It's been a pleasure to have you here on the Reset Rebel podcast. Thank you. Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. Reset Rebel It's the Reset Rebel Coming to you every day